Good morning. I really enjoy the lyrics of those songs, you know, um, that the Lord's love endures forever. <laughs> that is a promise that we got to hold on to. Right. Um, it's very interesting because it is so true. We, me and Daniel were just talking briefly, um, you know, after we're done praying and you know, it is so true when uh, when you go through valleys in life, that's when you grow spiritually. You grow so much. Um, you know, thank you, uh, you guys, so much for your prayers. Uh, uh, you know, just, you know, the little the things that, that, you know, me and my family are going through currently at this time. Uh, but it's, you know, it's peaks and valleys. The, these things are to be expected. You know, Solomon said it's better to talk about death than to be a fool and party all the time. That's basically my paraphrase, but you get the whole point. The picture is the sober reminder that this life is temporal. This physical life that, 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 that we are in, right? We are, we are souls and spirits that are encompassed in a physical body, but our physical body is not who we are. And that's why it's so important for for our spirit to, to, to take hold and witness the supernatural act of the Holy Spirit. And in that supernatural act, that's how we come to know who Jesus Christ is. Amen. It's such a, a beautiful thing. And, you know, um, suffering. Suffering should drive us to the point where we look at Christ. That's just the reality. You know, I had a, this was a conversation with my stepdad, uh, because me and Veronica, we've been going back and forth to UCSF the last couple of days. And uh, it's actually been a rich time. <laughs> it's been a rich time going back to the whole valley thing. It's given me a greater appreciation for the Lord, a greater appreciation for my wife walking with me every step of the way. Um, and I was able to read uh, the book of James to my mom yesterday. And it was just reading the word of God. It just put her at ease. She fell asleep. You know, she was just at peace, even though, you know, the reality is she's she's struggling. It's I mean, it's it's she's it's she's in a grimy place right now. But, you know, when 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 you impart the word of God, you know, to somebody and supernaturally, they're able to receive that. It does something for the individual. I don't care what anybody says. It's not like reading the New York Times. It's not like reading People magazine. It's not like reading the San Jose Mercury News. You're reading the infallible word of God. And that does something to an individual. But as I was talking to my, my stepdad, it might have been a Thursday night. I'm not too sure. And you know, I was like expressing how hey, it's just crazy. You know, I can't keep up with all these drugs that they're naming off that they're giving her and this and that. And, you know, I was getting overwhelmed emotionally about the whole situation because she's already on a cocktail of drugs, being immunosuppressed and being a double transplant organ recipient. But, you know, the Lord used my stepdad and he had to remind me, hey, man, you know, the reality is they're they're suffering everywhere. There's people that are in a drought that's been years and they don't have access to no water. <laughs> these, these people look like skin and bones wrapped in brown skin and they're just dying. These babies are dying in their parents' arms because they don't have access to water. They don't have access to any medical drugs or medicine. And so the reality is they're suffering all around us. But again, how much more should that suffering point us to Christ? And as Daniel pointed out to me earlier when we were talking, nobody has suffered more than him. Nobody has went through what Christ has gone through. We, can't, we intellectually understand it somewhat. We kind of grasp it, but we don't get the depth of how deep that, uh, that was when Christ had to lay his life down. And, and you go through the book of Leviticus and it talks about all the, 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 the sacrificial offerings. There's many ways to die. You could die in your sleep. That's how I want to go. I want to go in my sleep. You know, let me just, I just don't wake up. But for Christ, not so. There had to be the shedding of blood for the remission of sin. Without the shedding of blood, there was going to be no forgiveness. There was going to be no way that humanity could even have the opportunity to be saved. And so when we go through things, when we look at circumstances that in our eyes, we're like, ah, this is unfavorable. But we have to understand, again, God's scope. He sees the whole picture. 
God will use a person's suffering. We don't know what he's going to use it for, but he's going to use it for some kind of good. And we got to bank on that and hope in that and trust in that. And so, you know, um, I'm excited. I'm excited for what the Lord is doing. I'm not doom and gloom, you know, because God is still on the throne. Amen. And, uh, you know, with all the things that are going on in life, we have to take hold of that and trust that his plan is going to come to fruition Even if we don't see it, even if we don't understand it, we have to trust that he knows best and he's going to do what he's going to do. So with that, uh, we'll be in Revelation chapter 19 this morning. Uh, Lord willing, we're going to finish this chapter off. We'll be going through verses 17 down through 21. Um, it, It just plays into everything that's going on as far as the world is concerned and the, 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 the temperament of the, the, the world and society at large and all the things that are going on around the world, not just in our country, but in other countries. Uh, even the fact that uh, Daniel sent something out. I keep mentioning Daniel. You know, we have, uh, he likes to send stuff, which is good. I appreciate that. But uh, I don't know if you guys heard about the, the red heifers, uh, the red heifers from Texas that are now in Israel. They have not been... Uh, marked or anything and these these uh if you know if you uh, about the, the the prophecy about you know when they're going to start sacrificing these animals again you know they're trying to the the the, the institute of israel they're going to they're trying to rebuild the temple and they already have priests that have been trained and taught of these old the old sacrilegious system how to do it you know you go back to leviticus you go back to deuteronomy it, it tells you exactly how they do it i mean they got to do certain things the entrails and all this and where it get where all the waste gets put away on the west side of the the altar because that's the furthest away from the holy of holies all that stuff is going on and they have these heifers and these heifers these cows are what's going to be used to pop that off so again i understand and i'm not trying to put any dates or anything because obviously the scripture is clear that only the Lord God Almighty, the Father, only He knows the time. But I can say things are inching closer and closer and closer. Could it be that He's at that door about to put His hand on the doorknob, or better yet, his, ha- his hand's already on the doorknob, and He's about to turn that knob, and He's about to open up the floodgates. Who knows? But again, all the more reason for us to take serious this call upon our life of spreading the gospel message, because that's what I was going to say. It eluded me a minute ago. 80 years of suffering, the worst kind of physical, emotional, mental, psychological, uh, spiritual suffering is nothing compared to an eternity of suffering, right? This life is but a vapor. And if we can be used to spread the gospel message to somebody, whoever's in our sphere of influence, to share with them the truth and the reality of how they can be redeemed for eternity. And so they can be in peace with God in heaven forever. And they can be no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow. How great is that? How great is that? But we have to come to a place where we're so revved up that it's like we're just on fire. As the old timers would say, I'm on fire for the Lord because I'm full of the Holy Spirit. And I know the commission that's been given to me. We all have that same commission in a general sense. We're supposed to share the love of Christ and the truth uncompromised to everyone around us. When we understand suffering and we understand the depth of suffering with a soul in hell for eternity, that will gear us up to get ready to go out and share our faith. Amen. So again, we're in Revelation chapter 19, verse 17 down through 21. Uh, when you get there, if you could please stand if you're, you're able to uh, for the reading of God's word. And uh, this message is entitled, The Beast and His Armies Defeated. Amen to that. Praise God for the fact that this will come to pass. Uh, starting in verse 17, and it says, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead. Come gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who sits on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured with it, the false prophet who in its presence had done 
the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. Verse 21. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who, sit, who was sitting on, on the horse. And all the birds were gorging with their flesh. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we need you to impart wisdom to us. Lord, we cannot do anything apart from you. Lord, there, there's nothing that, that, that works out if we resist you or if we go against you. Father, we can't even understand your word and rightly divide it without your unction, without the power of the Holy Spirit giving us the ability to do so. So as we handle this portion of scripture, would you give us that insight? Would you give us that wisdom? Would you show us how uh, this portion of scripture is applicable to our lives today, this instant? And Lord, would you reveal your truth to us? Lord, may we live by your truth and may you come in and do the work that only you can do in the hearts of men and women. So Father, again, may you receive all honor and glory for we thank you for your mercy and your grace and everything that you are. You're such a good, good God, and we're so grateful for you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Last week, we learned that uh, Jesus Christ is the righteous, capital R, and true, capital T, righteous and true one, through and through. There's no doubt about it. Every judgment that God makes is just, no matter what people's view of those judgments are. You see, a lot of people can say, well, God's not fair, and how could he do this, and I don't understand that. And that's, you know, those, those are two camps, right? Uh, again, I'll bring up just sickness. We fall in two camps. Somebody gets sick, a loved one gets sick, a loved one's near death, and a loved one dies, and we say, how dare God do that to me? I was so, so I, I love this person. He took him from me. We can be in a camp of embitterment, that results in anger and frustration, or we can trust that God is omnipotent and all-knowing and omnipresent, and His ways are not our ways, and we just acknowledge and say, Lord, I don't understand it, but Lord, I praise you because I know that you're good. I know that something good is going to come out of it. Those are the two camps we're always going to fall in. It's either opposition towards God or submission to Him, and every judgment He makes is good and just no matter what our views of those judgments are. When he returns, he will make war against all who have chosen in their hearts to rebel against him. This is, this is a continued rebellion. This is a rebellion of conviction, saying, I, I, don't, I don't receive that conviction that the Holy Spirit is trying to place upon me so that I can be redeemed. This is those who say in their heart there is no God, who, who, who shake their fist at God in rebellion. Those people who have chosen in their hearts, he will come to make war against them. His final judgment of mankind does not come at an hour earlier or a day late. It's his perfect timing. Again, his perfect timing. That's where, again, you know, it's good to be aware of things that are going on in the world. But I know that the Lord shows me personally. He always draws me back to focus on what's at hand, Keithing. Focus on what I've put right before you. Because the reality is I have no bearing on what's happening in the outside world. I have all the control of where my focus is on. And if I'm getting my game plan from the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, I know I'm going to be everywhere I need to be at that precise time. You see, I don't need to know all these other things. I just need to know what I know when I need to know it. And that's being in the moment and being aware of what's happening. Amen. That's what we need. Because so many people are trying to figure out this and that. And that's why we don't do charts and we don't do all those things. Because I just, first of all, I just wasn't, I wasn't taught that. What the scripture shows me is Love, love people, share the love of Christ with people. You know, that's a whole other thing. If you're casting your, 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 your pearls before swine, I get that. I've kind of been in that situation lately. But the reality is you trust in the Lord to do what the Lord does. We don't condemn people. We don't judge people in the sense of a final judgment. If we don't bash people, 
(laughs) We share the love of Christ. The love of Christ is going to win people to him. Not all this other stuff, not this legalism. How, how how, How many chapters did you read? Did you go to church this week? Did you do this? Did you do that? It comes a point where, again, like I said, casting pearls before swine, you just got to love on people and just be available for them and then point them to Christ. Then it's upon them. It's their decision. But, you know, there's things that are outside of our control that we can't do anything about. But the whole thing is, will you be ready when Christ returns? Will I be ready? Are you going to be spotless? Am I going to be spotless, ready for our bridegroom? And that's the thing we have to do. We have to ask ourselves this stuff daily. What am I doing? Lord, what do you want me to do? And then we just need to do it. There's great joy in that. You see, obedience and joy go hand in hand. You show me a Christian that has no joy, and I show you a Christian that is disobedient. You cannot be disobedient and think you're going to have joy. You just can't. They're synonymous. They go hand in hand. The more obedient you are, the more joy you are going to experience. I don't care what your circumstances are. (laughs) That is the truth because nowhere in Scripture does it show me follow Jesus and your life is going to be carefree. Follow Jesus and you're going to have no problems. Follow Jesus and you're not going to have any enemies. Quite the contrary. You're going to be the unpopular one in your family. You're going to be the unpopular one at work. People are not going to view you the way they view the world because you're not walking in light. I mean, you're not walking in the light of what they're doing. You're, you're walking in the truth of the light. You know, darkness and light have no, they have no, they don't get together. They're like oil and water. That's why some people avoid you because it, it, they, they can't stand to be amongst the light. The darkness has to either be consumed by the light or the darkness will flee and run. That's why some people, you wonder like, how come they don't come around? Or how come it gets quiet when they come around? It's because... They're not in a place where they're filled with the light. Or maybe they are saved, but they're being disobedient and they're, 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 they're grieving the Holy Spirit. And you can only grieve the Holy Spirit so much before it becomes a serious issue and you're seriously all messed up. So either way, again, the whole point of that is your joy, my joy, goes hand in hand with my obedience and your obedience. You want to experience more joy, become more obedient. Amen? You see, God at this time, Jesus Christ, has given ample time for people to turn back to him and repent, to recognize the error in their ways and to submit to his authority in their lives, to respond to the supernatural act, like I just said, of conviction when it comes upon them. At this point in human history, there will be no more chances for redemption. The stage has been set, sides have been chosen, lines have been drawn, and that's it. There's going to come a time where, no, you can't. You can't go back. You cannot turn back. All those opportunities, and that's the saddest thing. You look at, uh, you look at the, the rich man and how Lazarus was at, at his gates all the time. That man, he lost his chances. He could not go back. He said, can I dip my, my finger in some water for the relief? Could you, could, could you tell somebody to tell my, my, my relatives that are still alive, don't come down here, don't go these ways. And what did, what did the prophets say? They had Moses. They had the law. If they're not going to listen to them, what makes you think they're not going to listen at all? And how many Bibles do we have lying around in our houses? How many Bibles do we have that we've never even opened? Show me a battered and tattered Bible and and that will show me somebody who's serious about their relationship with the Lord. (laughs) Because, I mean, they're in that. They're in, it shouldn't be looking all perfect and all nice. I mean, you could have your your Bible that's just for show, whatever. I mean, I don't know. That's just a, I don't know. That's just a weird, weird thing that we kind of do in this country. But, you know, a beat down, broken down Bible is the word being used. It's the person that's actually engaging in their communion with the Lord. And this is so important because if we don't take the time and, 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 and grow deep roots with the Lord and draw close to him, then how are we going to really even know if we're even converted and even saved? You see, there has to be a supernatural act. It's not just merely intellectual uh, understanding that Jesus is who he is. It has to be this 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 supernatural act that literally changes you 
You're changed. You can't, you're, you're disgusted by the things you used to do and you can't go back to that. You've been altered in a way that you can't even describe it other than the fact that I am not the same person anymore. We can't change ourselves. So when that happens and there has to be that conversion moment where every person knows this is when it happened. This is when things changed in my life and I've never been the same. If you can't say that you had that, then dare I say you haven't been converted. And, and, and again, it's a supernatural act. It's not just it, it's not just going down in the water and coming back up. It's not just raising your hand and say, blah, blah, blah. So and so pray for me. Those are all good things. But it's the supernatural act. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, you can't walk the way you used to walk. You can't. There, there must be evidence of, of, of fruit in your life. And that fruit comes in many different ways. It's not something that we can just merely gauge by our eyes, but it's the condition of a person. It's, their, it's how their mind thinks. It's how they come, go about things. It's how they interact with people. It's all these things that, that occur so much that I can't describe it in mere words, but it's the reality of a supernatural act that occurs. But unfortunately for these people that fall in this category... There's no more chances for them. They've, they've, they've chosen who they want to stand for, and now it's all done. And this is where we pick up in, in, our, uh, in our text this morning in Revelation chapter 19. We have several main points, and the first one is this. Because of the great enmity between rebellious humans and God, there will be great carnage in the battle of Armageddon. If you take notice, there is a repetition here in the text this morning. Five times in succession, we see the word flesh. And this reference to flesh, it's not a good thing. It is the flesh of all those who willfully choose to reject Jesus Christ that will be ravaged in bloodshed. Like I said, I want to die in my sleep. <laughs> I want to be like Enoch. <laughs> just, just take me, Lord. Let me just go. <laughs> I don't, I, I don't want to see the, the bloodshed. I don't want to smell iron. You know, I, I, it's just crazy when I think about you know the Old Testament, obviously, and Christ. You know, the fact that you know uh, man, he was battered and beaten so bad that they couldn't even tell if it was a man or a woman. All the stuff that went on with him, and then you think back to all the other, you know, uh, the acts of, of what was going to be Christ. And, and it's like, man, it was a bloody mess. The fact that the priest had to sprinkle the, the veil seven times with blood. It's crazy. It's like, you know, I used to think of the veil, uh, you know, that separated the holy of holies. And it was just, just like, oh, this is you know, pretty tapestry and all this and that. Yeah, and it might have been pretty and, and woven with all these fine materials. But the fact it stunk, it was stenched with the blood of all these animals that were sacrificed and killed, the fact that the priests had to go around the altar and they sprinkled the blood everywhere and then they burned the body of this animal. The fact that you would, I would have to go back, get this animal that was perfect, bring it, cut its jugular, put my hand on it, signifying all of my sin, like leaning. They didn't just put their hand on it. I'm not talking about they lean on it, like WWF wrestling. They're on this animal. It's symbolizing the fact that all of my wickedness and my wretchedness, I'm putting on this sacrifice. When you start looking at it like that, it gives you a different perspective of what's going on with your own sin and how you come before the Lord. There better be a weightiness. There better be a humility. There better be that because you're coming before the true and almighty God. You know, just the fact that we come to uh, congregate. We come to congregate for the main reason to glorify God and praise Him. It ain't about us. All this other stuff is secondary. The coffee, the chatter, it's cool, I get it. But if our single one mindset isn't coming here to glorify God and sacrifice praise and worship to Him in any way, shape, or form, we've got it twisted and we need to get it right. That's so real. It's in the Scripture. We don't come... To just hear from some pastor, that's secondary. That is so secondary. We come to honor and glorify God. And that's how your life and my, my life should be lived out, outside of these walls. You wake up, Lord, help me to glorify you in all that I do. Again, you want to experience joy. You want to experience freedom. You want to experience true peace in your life. These things must be so. 
because it says it all in Scripture. All the other prophets, minor and major, Christ himself, he came to glorify the Lord. That's what he came to do. And all the other stuff, it comes along with it. Now, I'm fired up this morning. In Leviticus chapter 2, it is mentioned that each grain offering was to be seasoned with salt. You see, back then, salt was a precious commodity. Hence the phrase, he or she is worth their weight in salt. Well, back then, they probably wouldn't even say she. So I'll say the reference, but it is for, you know, he or she. But he is worth his weight in salt. You see, soldiers could be paid for their service by salt. Salt was an important part of this offering, this grain offering, because it spoke of purity. You see, salt is a natural preservative, if you will, like meat. When it is cured with salt, it stays fresh longer. But because the nature of flesh is to spoil because of sin, because of the fall, this is why salt is needed. Here in our text, the flesh of rebellious people will rot and spoil just like uncured meat. Because of the continued rebellion and flat out rejection of Jesus Christ, those who oppose him will die, not just physically, but spiritually as well. And they are not going to die a peaceful death. They're not going to be in their, you know, comfy, cozy, whatever, you know, they're not going to be in their sleep number, uh, sleep bed number, whatever. You know, it's going to be a gruesome death. God bless you, whoever sneezed. Those who chose Satan over Jesus Christ will die at the hands of violence. And this is not just a simple sector of humanity. This wave of carnality and judgment will sweep across every people group, from every tribe and culture, from the wealthy to the poor, from the free to the imprisoned, from kings to common folks. Even the animals will be affected by this great slaughter. Once again, these, these are, are the consequences of sin unconfessed because it breeds death of every kind. James chapter 1 verses 14 and 15 tell us clearly, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. These are things that we want to have control over. Uh, we want to have control over our, our, our own bodies. And, and the scripture is clear that we need to, to develop the spiritual discipline to learn to control the tongue. If we can control the tongue, we have the ability through the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to control our bodies and not walk into sin. Just like a small rudder of a ship, as the scripture says, it, 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 it's able to be manipulated by the pilot and move however which way they want to turn it. So is the tongue. The tongue is such uh, an important part of our function. And we learn to control our tongue. Sometimes we got to bite our tongue. Better for your tongue to bleed than you to spill out words of venom that will really never really heal. You know, physical abuse is one thing. The abuse of words and what we say to people, that lasts a lifetime. The Bible is clear. Blessing and cursing coming out of the same mouth, it should not be. We bless those who are created in God's image and the same people we curse. We curse them. And I'm not talking about curse words. It's the way we come at them. The way we treat them. The intent of our words. Our words cut. So powerful is the word that look at Jesus. With a word, he silenced the sea. With a word, he's going to command all of this to be done, and it's going to be done. So in that same way, we must understand the use of our tongue has the usage of blessing or cursing, depending on how we use it. Second main point is this. Satan and his followers will try to wage war against Jesus Christ and his kingdom but will be utterly defeated. This is honestly a last-ditch attempt to try to slow down the conquering hand of Jesus Christ, but it is completely useless. You see, the devil knows better. He really does. He's, he's very wise. He was created in, in, in such a way that he was uh, glorious, uh, you know, full of what the Lord allowed him to have in his creation. So the devil knows better, but you see... 
The devil will never concede to his own defeat. This is yet another example of pride out of control within his own heart. How could he ever think that he would ever defeat the Lord God Almighty? You see, it is truly unfathomable to think that. It's been said that insanity is doing the same thing over and over, (laughs) but expecting a different result. I mean, the same thing. It's not working. You must do something to change. You must come at this situation in a different way because the way that you're going about it is wrong. We've all been there. The same thing over and over. I'm going to do this. I mean, that's why you have people that... How how many times have you been to jail? (laughs) How how, How many DUIs do you have? Do you understand that this is not working? How many times has the doctor said, stop smoking those cigarettes, stop taking those drugs? How many times has the doctor said, stop eating all those cheeseburgers, stop eating all that sugar? Because it's killing you. And yet we still do the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. That is insanity. That is, ins- that is insane thinking. That is not falling in line with Scripture. That is not having the mind of Christ. That is being carnal as carnal can be and fulfilling the lust of the flesh and doing what we want to do. And dare I say, we love that pleasure more than we love obedience to God. This is exactly what's going on here with Satan and his followers. This rebellion is simply the extension of man's constant war against God since the fall. Even though the text says this was a battle, (laughs) the, the Apostle John's writings don't convey this at all. This is an entirely one-sided ordeal, more of a simple act of judgment than a prolonged battle or war. You see, the battle of Armageddon is, if you will, the laughter of God against the climax of man's arrogance and foolishness. Mankind is is going to try to wage war against the God of gods and the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who holds all things in his hands, the one who's this this whole entire earth is just a footstool to him. It's an ottoman to him, uh, so to speak. And and, and the people groups of this world are are literally going to try to wage war against him. The audacity is mind-blowing when you think about it. I mean, have you ever been on an airplane and you look down and you see how puny we are? We're like little ants. You look at the, the cars on the freeway and it's like, and then to think, you got fools running around thinking that they run in the whole show. The dictators and I'm this and I'm that. I got absolute power. That's what, that's what our governments are after and the people, groups, and the leaderships of this world are after right now. They want absolute power and then absolute, after absolute power, then they deify themselves as a god. All you have to do is look back in history. Look a several hundred years back. That's what all happened in, in Greece, in Rome, all, uh, Mesopotamia, all those places. All, it, it's all the same thing. There's nothing new under the sun. And that's what we're going through right now. They want absolute power, trying to mandate this and mandate that and dictate this and dictate that. It's the same trap that Satan has set up for people. And when people are full of their flesh and darkened in their spirit and their, their eyes, their, their, their heart are dim, they fall for this bait. And again, like I said, the audacity is mind-blowing. For people, created beings, to actually believe that they could war against the Creator and win. But this reality is actually twofold. It's two sides of the same coin. By the same token, it is mind-blowing to think that the God of all creation provides a way for humanity to be saved, and yet many don't believe and completely just blow Him off. Many think that they are too intellectually savvy and too great and too wise to need a savior. Why do I need a savior? That the audacity is, 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 is ridiculous. But that's how we think with our darkened minds. There's no problem with me. I don't, I don't need God. I don't need Jesus. And then people use that lame excuse. Well, the church. The church is imperfect. I get that. I get that. I get that. That, that unfortunately, there's a, there's a bad representation of Jesus Christ because of the church and what the church has been not doing. But that is still not an excuse for men and women to go against God. That's, that's a lame excuse. You can't say, well, organized religion is messed up. And so that I, I, can, I can believe Jesus in my home. 
but just go to the scripture. You need fellowship with the saints. And the church has never been perfect. The church has always been riddled with all kind of issues and problems from before the Reformation till after till now. That's not going to change because we're, we're flawed people. But Christ is good. Christ is just. Christ is righteous. And you see, again, it reminds me of when Naaman, <laughs> he was told to go into the Jordan, dip seven times and you'll be healed of your leprosy. And what did Naaman say? I'm paraphrasing. But he's like, I'm Naaman. Do you know who I am? I, 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 I have stature. I have status. I'm somebody. There must be some other way that I'm going to get healed by God. I'm not dipping in that dirty, nasty river. That's how many times we are. Good for Naaman. Eventually he surrendered. <laughs> he dipped and he was healed. The Bible says his skin was like baby skin. And if you know anything about leprosy, that's a quite a great contrast from what a leper would look like to go back to baby skin. When I hold tears, I'm like, man, you're not a baby, but you still got soft skin, girl. <laughs> you know? And, and, but it's the humility. It's to not think so highly of ourselves that we think we don't need a savior. How dare any of us have the audacity be, to be so full of pride to believe we don't need salvation. This again reveals the truth that all need the supernatural act of the Holy Spirit to enable our spirit to witness him and receive him. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 9 tells us, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. It's, we literally have the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit when conviction comes upon us. We have in that window of time an opportunity to submit and recognize and say, yes, I, I am wrong. Yes, I need salvation. And then the Holy Spirit comes in and I, don't, I can't explain how it happens, but he comes in and he changes us and we're right. And we're in our right mind and we're renewed. That's a supernatural act of God and it's such a beautiful thing. I praise God for the fact that he would save a wretch like me. Mm, it's so such a beautiful thing, such a grateful thing. That's, that's the most important thing in life. It's the most important thing in life is that a man or woman's soul be saved, no matter what time it comes. It's God's time. It's perfect. It may not come when we want it to come for our family members, but we can't give up. We've got to trust that God is going to do what God's going to do. And we intercede and we pray for those who need salvation. Amen. Third main point is this. Nothing good ever comes from disobedience to Jesus Christ and allegiance to Satan. Nothing good comes from it. You see, this life again is but a vapor here one day and gone the next. Isaiah chapter 40, verse seven says the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Eternity, on the other hand, will never end. The foolishness of today's generation is wrapped up in the popular statement. Live your best life now. I know you've heard it. Live your best life now, bro. Go for it. Get it. Only someone who is spiritually dead would subscribe to that way of thinking. Basically, do whatever you want now and get all you can now because, well, why not? All you have is now. That's the perspective of that kind of lifestyle. You see, but the reason why people think this way is because they honestly see no hope in beyond this life. They are spiritually bankrupt and broken in desperate need of a savior. The reality and the truth is we were all in that same position at one point in time before we accepted Jesus Christ as our savior and our Lord. The only difference between us and them is we took heed to the call from the Holy Spirit and responded in submission to Jesus Christ while others decided in their hearts to heed to their flesh. Galatians chapter 5 verses 16 and 17 tells us, but I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. I mean, it tells you crystal clear. It tells me crystal clear what is going on. So whenever we're in a situation where we're not understanding why it seems like we're gravitating more to these things that are fleshly and worldly, 
we must go back to the scripture and consider, how am I walking? Am I walking by the Spirit? Am I seeking the Spirit of God? Am I seeking Him in His Word? What is the first thing that I do when I get up? What is the preoccupation of my mind set on most of the day? Because Jesus didn't say, work 12 hours a day and you'll be blessed and you'll be able to get through. Do this and that, you'll be able to make it. He didn't say that. He said, trust in me with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge me in all your ways and he will make straight your path. So we have to walk circumspectly. Too many times we're just blase, blase about the whole thing and wonder why our life's in shambles. But we take no spiritual responsibility for how we're living. There has to be a level of accountability between us and the Lord, us and ourselves. Love yourself enough to acknowledge what's going on and go before the Lord because he's, I mean, this is the roadmap to your life and my life. Everything for success and victory is laid out here. All we have to do is submit. It's not impossible. It's just hard. And I think that's the biggest caveat with a lot of people. They just say it's too hard. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, you can do it. It's the time we put in. It's the effort we put in. It's the love that we give back to the Lord. Again, understanding, going back to suffering. If we really, truly grasp how much Jesus suffered for us, what other of your response could it be than to submit your life before him for all the rest of your life? He's done everything for you. He died for you. He rose from the dead for you. How dare we trample upon the blood of Christ as if it was common? That is not good. That is not good. All right, let's look at these verses. I don't know if this is the message you came here for, <laughs> but you know, this is what the Lord is showing me. So I, I'm, I, I'm learning the more that I just let the scripture speak, that's the best thing. All I'm, all I'm trying to do is exposit what the Lord is showing me. I'm not trying to add anything. I'm not trying to give my opinion. I may share a story or two about what's happened in my own life, but I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about what the Lord has shown me. And trust me, he takes me to the woodshed all the time. So I guess that's why these messages come out the way they come out. Because it's not just for me. That's what he's saying to his people. Just look at Israel. How many times? Over and over again till this day. Anyways. I digress. 17 through 18. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come gather for the great supper of God, to eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. So let's start with this first statement, an angel standing in the sun. This is a very beautiful thing because it shows how bright this angel shines with the glory of God. The angel can be seen even though he stands before the sun. I mean, right? How many of you, when your parents said, don't look directly at the sun, <laughs> you'll go blind. How many of y'all did that and tried it? You're like, ah, <laughs> I, can't, I see just a rainbow of colors. I think I'm God. Lord, help me. But so we get right. We are, we all agree the sun the sun is pretty bright, right? But this angel he is shining in a way that the the glory of God is brighter than the sun. When we walk in communion with Jesus Christ, you know, unhindered commun communion as best we can in this life. I know it's not perfect, but I'm saying right. We're walking. We don't have no. You know, we're not you know, living a lifestyle of sin. We're walking in obedience to the Lord. His radiance shines through us in such a way that it will be infectious and it will touch all those that we are exposed to. We talked about this earlier. Either people are going to be gravitated to the light of Jesus Christ in your life or the light of Jesus Christ is going to repel people from you and they're going to be like, they're going to be like roaches. I can't get away from this fool quick enough because he comes into the room and all of a sudden, man, it popped the balloon. Uh, all, all, all my carnal behaviors <laughs> dissipated. I can't, I, can't, I can't do it. You know, people, are, people start muttering, you know, unless they're really bold and foolish and then they'll start talking crazy and then they want to go into a debate and then you've got to deal with all that. But for the most part, darkness runs, flees when the light comes in. It scurries away, but that's because of the light of Christ. 
You see, John chapter 8, verse 12 tells us that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Whoever follows him will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's a beautiful thing. You're going to have the light of life if you walk with Jesus Christ. Meaning you're like, Lord, I love you. You're my, you're my God. I honor you. I want you to do in me whatever you please. Make my life count for whatever your will is for my life. When you come to the Lord like that, man, I mean, you're, you're walking in victory. You're walking in victory. I'm not, I'm not saying be big-headed, be boastful, be prideful, but there should be a level of confidence in us as Christians. Don't walk around all doom and gloom. I'm tired of seeing that. I'm tired of seeing that in my own life. That's like, no, I'm walking with the king of kings. Who's living in me? I don't got to tuck my tail for nobody. I'm walking and I'm walking, sharing the love of Christ with those around me, no matter what it is, no matter who sees it. You see, this whole thing of the light of Christ, it reminds me of what the scripture says heaven will be like. Revelation chapter 21, verse 23 tells us, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the lamb. There's going to be no need in heaven. It's not going to be like our atmosphere right now. Christ is the light, just like the gates are going to be wide open. They're not going to be locked because there's going to be no need because nobody's going to try to come in and rob and steal. It's only those who are invited to the wedding feast, the supper of the lamb that are invited into heaven. So it's going to be all good. This is exactly why this angel here in our text this morning is shining so bright, because he comes representing the God of all creation. Oh, that's such a beautiful thing. That's such a that's such a that's such a great thing. I, I can't. I just when that time comes, I just I want to experience that. Next, we see calling to all the birds that fly. Okay, this is a preparation for a great slaughter. So we went, we just went from glorious light to man. It's going to be a great slaughter. I mean, it's it's going to be carnage like the world has never seen before. This is a disgusting realism because we can't fathom how crazy it's going to be it's like the analogy again of uh, the blood reaching the bridle of the horse not necessarily saying the blood's going to flow this high but the extent of death that's going to inhabit this world it's going to be like un it's never it's never seen before the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains the repetition of flesh five times is revealing up to this point in history humanity has walked in carnal enmity against god living after the flesh, and now the day of his patience is at an end. Isaiah chapter 48 verse 9 tells us, For my name's sake I defer my anger, for the sake of my praise I restrain it for you that I may not cut you off. Obviously God was speaking about Israel in this context right here in this text, about Israel turning back to God. But eventually he will remove his hand of restraint. Picture a dam, like a water dam, right? When that water dam breaks, like when it breaks and the levee's busted and it's all bad, I mean, <clears throat> the wrath of, uh, uh, wrath of his anger is going to be pulled out, uh, poured out full force. That's what's going on here with this, this carnage and, and all of these people that are going to be dying. The application is this. This shows us that people of all backgrounds will be judged. The high and the low together, if they remain hardened in their heart and they re- in their rejection of Jesus Christ, they will be judged. The divine judgment upon the wicked is no respecter of persons and is the great equalizer of all. I was reminded the other day with a great quote about belief and obedience. You got to go back to belief and obedience. Remember the belt of truth. I mean, if we don't got the belt of truth on, if you don't got your truth loins on, you know, you know, I don't know if it's still a thing, but you know, it was it was once upon a time it was cool for people to be sagging their pants, butt hanging out and everything. Don't be foolish. <laughs> Pull up your pants. <laughs> Have your belt of truth on. Because <laughs> if you don't got the belt of truth on, everything else in the armor of God in that description hangs upon the belt of truth. It hinges upon the truth. And if we don't know the truth, oh man, we're all messed up. We're going every which way. We don't know what to subscribe to. We got unclean spirits talking to us this way, that way. And we're like, oh, I like that one. Man, you better stick with the truth. Have the belt of truth. But this, it reminds me of this, um, this, this, uh, this text that was sent to me the other day. The only part 
of the Bible that you truly believe is the part that you obey. That pierces right there. (laughs) The only part of the Bible that you truly believe is the part that you obey. You see, we're called to walk in obedience. It doesn't matter if we like it or not. If the Lord says, I don't want you shacking up with somebody and sleeping with them before you get married. He's saying, I don't want you doing that. Wait till you get married. If you're burning with passion, you better get married so that you can be good and you can be blessed in what you do. He says, don't covet. He says, don't commit adultery. He says, don't murder. He says, don't be jealous. He says, don't live in a homosexual lifestyle. It doesn't matter if we don't like it. (laughs) We need to surrender and submit ourselves under his authority And in his perfect will and his perfect timing, he'll change the desires of our heart and we'll understand and see the error in our ways. And then we'll be like, oh, okay, yeah, you were right. (laughs) This is wicked. This is wrong. My heart is deceitfully wicked and I'm desiring wicked things. Lord, change my heart. Create in me. That's why David said, create in me a clean heart. Renew in me a right spirit. Because David understood the wickedness of his own depravity. He knew that he could not cleanse himself. It's it's crazy because even, even after David committed adultery with Bathsheba, had her husband killed, even after the scripture says the sword will never leave his home. Did the scripture ever say that David was never a man after God's own heart, even after that? No, it didn't. Now, there's consequences. There's consequences that came from all those poor decisions that David made, but the reality is you got to look at it for what it is. Man, that should be uplifting and hopeful to you. If someone that did that stuff... But the Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart. That should be encouraging. That encourages me that we don't have to look at ourselves because condemnation will come in and say, look, you suck. You're not worthy. You're not going to do it. You don't deserve the love. You don't deserve this. You're this. You're that. That's the enemy. When God says, man, I'm trying to lift you up. I'm trying to show you. Humble yourself and I will exalt you at the proper time. That's just a side note, but that's just that's 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 encouragement for somebody today. Somebody need to hear that. You see, if you look, you will find four different suppers described in the Bible. The first supper is the supper of salvation alluded to in Jesus's parable in Luke chapter 14, verse 16 through 24. I'll read it for the sake of context. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at that time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first man said, I've bought a field and and I must go out and see it. Please uh, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I need to go examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came back and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, None of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. You got to understand why this was shared, okay? Because the second supper is the Lord's Supper, a commemoration of Jesus' sacrifice. The third supper is the marriage supper of the Lamb, and the fourth supper is the supper of the great God. The application is this. If you or I reject the first supper of salvation, the second supper of remembering Christ will mean nothing to you and I. We won't even regard it as anything. We'll be like, I don't even care because we didn't regard salvation, the offer of salvation as anything. And that's what's going on in the world today for those who reject Christ. They just say, I don't care. It's not, I'm not, it's not what I want. So the second supper will not mean anything to them. Then, if you fall in that category, then you will not be present at the third supper, which is the marriage supper of the Lamb. But you will be present for the fourth supper, the great judgment of God. That's when God's going to be like, did you accept my son, Jesus Christ? And unfortunately, they're going to be like, no, my works. Uh, I help homeless people. I care for my dying mother. I, 
I don't know, I was a good person. I didn't steal, I didn't cuss, I didn't commit adultery. He's going to be like, depart from me, I didn't know you. You see, everybody gets to attend at least one of these suppers, but some will eat and others are going to be eaten at their suppers. That's just, that's just, that's just the truth. That's just what the word says. So we may we be wise and, 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 and have the insight supernaturally to understand the truth and the reality of salvation, how important it is, how important it is. The salvation, the, the soul of an individual rests upon their decision to accept Christ or not. All right. Last few verses, 19 down through 21. And it says, And I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth with their armies gathering to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured and went the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Okay, so we need to again look at this first statement. The armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the throne. It's foolishness to think that men, humanity, would seriously try to wage war against the God of all creation. This level of ungratefulness is absurd how it must break god's heart that his own creation would fail to recognize the love that he has for them instead many of us respond to his love with hate and rebellion but the reality is this has gone on since the fall cain and what he did to his brother abel the fact that he didn't come with a sacrificial offering in the proper way And because his offering was rejected, he grew bitter. And that bitterness grew to vengeance. And that vengeance gave birth to killing and murdering his brother. When all he had to do was check himself. Because the Lord said, what's wrong with your countenance? Get your heart right. (laughs) Get your heart right with me and I'll accept your offering. You see, and that's how good God is. When we mess up, and you know, I mess up all the time. We all mess up all the time. But God is like beckoning us to come back to him. He's just saying, come, repent, get right with me. It's a clean slate. It's all good. I know you're but, but, but dust and dirt, <laughs> but blood and flesh. He's like, it's all good. Come back to me and get right with me so that we can move on and move past this. But many times we let, we let all that bad stuff brew in us. And then we get to a place where it's like, oh, I can't, I can't, I can't come back. What do you mean you can't come back? You know, I would love to see, I mean, this is the hospital for spiritually sick people, right? So it's okay if broken, messed up people are up in here. We all are all broken and messed up. We just don't, we just don't have it. We're not saying it. We just look nice. (laughs) You know, I mean, I, I, you know, it's just what it is. Some Bible scholars suggest that these armies that wage war against God, initially gather to battle against each other, then turn their fury on the returning Jesus. This may or may not be the case. I can't tell you it is or it isn't. All I know is the reality is it all stems from sin, man's folly and hatred of God. The application is this. This is the wicked, unhealthy cycle of sin. Despite defeat after defeat, the sinful nature of men continues to wage war against the holy God of this universe. Um, take your pick. Just look around at the world. Just look around at the things that are going on in, in, our, in our culture, in our society, in the world at large. And you see it. You see, you see men who just, they have enmity with God and they just, they, 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 they just loathe him. It, it's, it's very disturbing to see how some people are just so bent on trying to eradicate the presence of Jesus Christ, but they never can. I guarantee you, If you look at any of these situations, you will find pride of every kind and a lack of humility. That is what you'll find. To make war against him. Again, this is just the extension of man's constant war against God since the fall. It's no different than when Jesus Christ came to earth and men in their hearts full of wickedness wanted to murder him. They were... They just, they wanted to keep their ways. They added, they had the, you know, the crazy ritual where you had to wash your hand this way and that way and let it drip down all, 
They're like, man, why y'all, y'all added all these extra things? Jesus said, just don't do that. Just stick to the Ten Commandments, man. They did all this extra stuff, made it super hard. Jesus said, those are your, those are your traditions. That's not what God said. And they hated him for it. They were so enthralled by their own position of authority that they didn't want to relinquish it. They, did, they, they loved being praised. That's why they prayed in public all loud. That's why they did all the shenanigans they did because they wanted the praise of men. That is the worst reason to ever get into any form of ministry. Never get into anything because you want to be recognized. Don't do it. That's not a calling. I'll say it. That's not a calling. You go because you want to serve and honor the Lord. And I'm not saying there aren't people that are called that have this this hunger and this thirst to want to be used. But I know many times it's like people that are like, I don't want to do that. (laughs) I'm not going to do that. Because the Lord picks people that are like, I'm not esteeming myself. He's like, I'm going to pick the people that are lowly of heart. You know, that are poor in spirit. Those are the people that I'm going to elevate. Those are the people that I'm going to use because he can mold and shape them in a way that they're Lord willing. Not going to come into a place where they become bubbled up with pride and start looking for the applause of men and women. But they're looking for the applause of one and they're just trying to be obedient to God. That is the difference. Again, uh, like I said, this is just an extension of, of the wickedness in man's heart. But little did they know. That Jesus Christ going to the cross to allow his blood to be shed was all part of the redemption of mankind. I can't list them, but there are many instances in the Bible where it describes rebels, those who refute God at every level. Genesis chapter 13 verse 3 says, Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Proverbs chapter 18 verse 1 and 2 says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. And Isaiah chapter 1 verse 28 says, But rebels and sinners shall be broken together, and those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed. We see this statement to make war. This is not a war like we think. Again, um, some people tend to view God and Satan like they're in some kind of close wrestling match, right? Because wrestling is all about position. If you've ever wrestled, high school wrestling, you got to get on your knees, do get on your back, get the cauliflower ear if you don't wear the right? And, and the whole thing is, this is not God and Satan. They're not in this close combat like, oh, I don't know who's going to win. Oh, you got a point there. No, it's not that at all. There is no competition. You see, El Shaddai, the great I am, is not matched by anyone. He has none worthy to even be his rival. Nahum chapter 1 verses 2 through 8 says, The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in whirlwind. And storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither. The bloom of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him. Hills melt. The earth heaves before him. The world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. But with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of the adversaries and he will pursue his enemies into darkness. You see, there's no competition, competition between Satan and God. Satan is soundly defeated with one blow. He is destroyed. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This was the very first proclamation of the gospel in the scriptures, that Jesus Christ would in fact do away with Satan once and for all by going to the cross and conquering sin, death, and hell. It is very real. You see, allegations that the serpent story is a mere legend are based upon anti-supernatural perspectives. The God who fashioned all creatures certainly could for a certain special occasion empower a serpent to speak, just, just as in the case of Balaam's donkey. Numbers chapter 22 verse 28 says, Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth and it said to Balaam, What have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? You see, the apostle viewed this as truth. He just viewed it as strictly historical. 
There's also archaeological evidence that connects the serpent image with man's original fall. You see, a seal was discovered at ancient Nineveh depicting a man and a woman on either side of a fruit tree. And to the left, the woman, to the left of the woman stands a serpent. The serpent is said to be standing upright. If you notice that the curse that's placed upon the serpent, what did God say? Because you have done this, you shall crawl on your belly. If the curse was to crawl on his belly, we could assume then at one point in time, this creature actually walked upright. That's wild, <laughs> but that's the truth. And I'll end with this last statement as Isaiah and Michelle come up. Then the beast was captured and with him the false prophet. Last we see the beast and the false prophet receive special judgment. They are cast alive, not dead, into the lake of fire before the great white throne judgment holds court. Revelation chapter 20 verse 11 through 15 says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. Then I saw the dead great and small standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is what we consider hell. It is real, and nothing is more important than avoiding it. May we be those who walk in the light of Jesus Christ's warning. And may we tell all those who we come across about this so that they could choose Christ instead of death. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, just thank you for your word. Thank you that you provide us a way of escape. There is no excuse for any human being to go to hell. We have the opportunity to receive newness of life in you. And today, if there be any that need to get right with you, Lord, may we confess our sins before you and may we make uh, amends for what's been done and may we be reconciled to you so that we can walk out of this building free of guilt, free of shame, free of condemnation and walk in newness of life and in freedom and in joy. Father, impart your supernatural power in your people that they would be able to walk in truth all the days of their life father use us use us according to your purpose and your plan father we thank you and love you in jesus christ's name we pray